everyone, welcome to episode 9 of The Young Gun Show. Today's episode is once again sponsored by iNutillo.com. The website to go to is I-N-A-U-T-I-L-O.com, so uh, be sure to check that out. Uh, today's episode is a little different than normal. Uh, first off, my co-host Tim Smith uh, moved to Minnesota this week, and so he's not going to be uh, able to be here and co-host this with me. I was, I was looking, you know, maybe get one of the older guests to come on and, uh, um, you know, come on and co-host this with me, but it was kind of a last-minute deal, so it's just me again. Uh, this is this is also the first episode of the Young Gun Show, uh, in that will you know uh, be a part of a series I've I've dubbed Young Gun Show Gunslinger Edition. Uh, basically, from time to time, I'll have seasoned industry professionals come on, and we'll talk in depth, um, you know, about some of the things that will help us all as designers and developers. So I couldn't think of a better person to have on as our first gunslinger than uh, Andy Rutledge. Andy is a designer, composer, cyclist, Christian, capitalist, author of Design Professionalism, and the co-owner of uh, Unit Interactive. And uh, Andy, you're from Texas, so uh, you've probably done some gunslinging, right? (laughs) Well, a little bit. A little bit of hunting, a little bit of sport shooting, sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, first off, you know, for anyone who's not familiar with you, could you just briefly outline uh, who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, well, uh, my my main gig is uh, co-owner of Unit Interactive. This is a just a small uh, design studio in Plano, Texas, uh, which I founded with my uh, my friend Angela Connell. And uh, Angela is in St. Louis. She and her husband moved out there. Uh, I don't know a couple of years ago, but uh, uh, that's no bar to, to to what we do, as I'm sure everyone listening knows. But uh, and so that's that's the main thing. And and I think as you mentioned, I'm I also write. So I wrote the design professionalism. I um, I recently published the uh, uh, the Academy of Design Professionals uh, Code of Professional Conduct. I thought that there was a need for something like that, so that's another thing. But um, I'm actually relatively new in the design world. I've only been around here since uh, 2002 or three or so, uh, and before that, I had like a whole other career. Uh, actually, maybe a couple of them: <laughs> a musician and in uh, retail uh, for for like uh, 20 years or so. Oh wow. Yeah, well, I don't, uh, I don't know that what you said, 2002. That's 10 years. I guess in this industry, I'm not sure I'd call that relatively new. <laughs> yeah, everything moves, you know, well, so quickly. Well, uh, there, there are a lot of uh, the folks that I look up to who have been doing this since you know there was a web, and so I kind of, I just feel like I'm kind of new at this. Yeah, definitely. Well. You know, even just in your little thing there about who you are, you mentioned design professionalism a couple of times. So could you just define, and and I know, you know, it's a huge topic. You've written a whole book about it, so there's a lot there. But could you just try to define what that is for us a little bit? 
Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I think you could allude to there. It defies a, a very concise definition, but uh, for the most part, it's um, being prepared to meet all of the professional responsibilities that you're going to encounter uh, in your in your professional work. And depending on who you are, of course, that's gonna that's gonna vary. But um, gosh, there's there's so many ways that it can be described. I mean, uh, it's gathering responsibility instead of avoiding it. It's uh, being able to, to sort of meet every challenge uh, without being unbalanced, without getting sort of rocked back on your heels or whatever, even if it's something you've never encountered before, because professionalism is founded in fundamentals, which, you know, um, if you can always go to your fundamentals, you always sort of know what the what the proper uh, way to handle something is. Um, but but for the most part, I think I'll stick with the idea that it's being prepared to, to meet whatever uh, professionals um, – Challenge and to uphold, uh, you know, uh, uncompromising standards, regardless of what you encounter. Is um is that something that you feel like our industry is lacking as a whole? I really do. Um, that's one reason that I make so much choice about it. <laughs> that I thought there was a a treatise that needed to be written, and all of the articles that I write needed to be written. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that what became the web design industry was an offshoot of the ad industry. And the ad the ad industry is in, is just really, really unprofessional and has some really ridiculous practices uh, and dealing with clients and dealing with projects and dealing with themselves, you know, inside agencies. And unfortunately, the web design uh, profession sort of adopted many of those practices as as, as standards, and, and it hasn't served as well. Uh, so I think there's a lot to uh, a lot of ground to cover to make up. Hmm. Was it something where you know you mentioned you had a, a couple of a couple of uh, you know careers before coming into design? Was it something where uh, you know, you were in retail and you, you got to experience professionalism and then you just came here and realized, oh my goodness, we're in trouble. Kind of a, kind of a deal. Yeah. In, in some ways, yes. Especially the last, the, the last thing that I was doing, I spent about 12 years. Uh, I was general manager for a, chain, a small chain of Hallmark stores. And even though retail is not necessarily a profession, it's, it's your, mer- you're a merchant, not a professional. Merchants can't necessarily be professionals because there's this idea that the customer is always right, and you're essentially in a service um, industry. And so professionals don't necessarily swim in those waters. But the idea of running a business and then how you, you deal with employees, you know, deal with staff, deal, uh, and then how you sort of maintain standards and carry the standards that you have as, you know, say an owner or a manager, so that they get articulated to your customers who are coming in the store. Just the way that businesses run, um, I I learned what I thought was the right way, uh, and uh, I had very good uh, you know <clears throat> teachers and employers in, in that regard. And so when I designed, there was just a <laughs> it was like a you know, cold water in the face. It was completely different, and that kind of aggravated me. Um, you made the good point that retail is it's not quite uh, professionalism. It's more like a merchant, you know, because y- you can definitely present yourself professionally in retail but it's it's not it's you know it's different the customer is always right so 
in that, are you saying that if, if you're going to be a professional designer, that uh, the client is not always right? And how, you know, how does that look? Yeah, and that's that's one of the primary problems with the design profession is that it is operated as, you know, like a merchant industry. Uh, it's uh, instead of being professionals, too often we behave you know, as as merchants, as stores, and we have customers instead of clients. And there's a there's a huge difference there. And so if you operate as a merchant and you consider your clients to be customers, well, then you're essentially taking orders. You're 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 filling their order, and you're trying to keep them happy. You're trying to please them. And of course, that has nothing to do with design excellence. Has nothing to do with what with bringing to bear your own expertise. Um, if if someone if your client is telling you what to do or how to do it and you just do that to keep them happy, why did they hire you? Because what you're designing is as good as they could make, as good as you could make. So that's like I said, that's just one of the primary, I think, uh, voids in the professionalism in our industry. How do you walk... Do you even see there? Do you even uh, see a line there? Because like a, a lot of people, and you know, some some people that I tend to think of anyway is um, as is really probably pretty good designers with a, a good feel for clients. Uh, Paul Boag is the one that uh, springs to mind, and he's he's been doing uh, this thing. You know, he's been promoting his client centric web design, where basically, yes, he is the designer and he's the professional and he knows about the web, but the client understands their business and understands how that works. So how, is, do you see there being a line between listening to clients and doing what they say and then being professional yourself? And, and if there is, how do you, how do you walk that? Yeah, I do. And I, and from my view, it's a very easy thing to, to see and to work with. Uh, where the problem is is communicating that and making sure that everyone sort of understands the same thing. Uh, first of all, Paul Boeg, really charismatic, um, important, you know, figure in our in our profession. I'm really glad that he's doing what he's doing. He's doing so much, um, and so I appreciate his you know his voice and his his effort out there uh, in the in the profession. Uh, but sort of just to the to that to that line, um, your client is the expert in their business. They're the expert in maybe in their industry. Um, they know their customers, hopefully. They know their customers, their clients very well. And they have so much to, uh, to offer in informing you. But what they don't have is design expertise. That's the whole reason that they, they hired you and they're paying you these thousands of dollars is that you can do some things that other people can't, especially them. And so their job where, where they sort of are the expert and that they get to uh, sort of define things is in informing you and how this, you know, is supposed to work, how their business works, what their business needs, who their business serves, how it needs to be articulated. Um, they might even tell you some of their preferences that are not necessarily just, you know, personal preferences it might be based on sort of what they sort of intuit in their business, it needs to sort of work like this, or or uh, appear like this, or behave. And I'm talking about like on-page behaviors. Let's say uh, the app or the website needs to behave like this. These are things that you got as a design professional. You have to you know pay close attention to because these folks are the pros at what they do. But then once you've been informed, 
then it's your job to make the decisions as to what is actually going to be <clears throat> what the design is going to is going to be how mechanisms are going to behave what the user experience or how it will be you know defined and articulated um, how content will best be presented um, how best to appeal you know once you've done your research how best to appeal to you know the target audiences that is what you're supposed to be the expert in. And so if you let someone who's not the expert in that dictate any of that, then it's compromise. It's, and it's taking money out of, you know, I'm talking about commercial enterprises here. It's taking money out of their pocket. They're shooting themselves in the foot because you allowed them to uh, make a decision they're not qualified to make. So that might seem like um, uh, a hard thing to bring up in the middle of a project, and of course it is. That's why these kinds of things have to be cleared before anyone signs contracts. When you're in the pre-bid phase, you know they're talking to you, and you're talking with them to see if that fits with you, see if you fit with them. Um, that's where these topics need to be broached. And so what it it means is they have to invest complete trust in you. And if they can't to let you do this job that you've you know explained to them, this is how it needs to work then they need to find someone they do trust and then do that with them rather than try and do it with you and not have much trust and uh, they end up with a compromised lesser version of what they could have had what what what, what would you say to someone who finds himself in that situation where a, a client and them are disagreeing on something and you know, according or you know, based off what you just said, it, it certainly sounds like in that case the fault is on the designer because they should have seen this coming from the beginning and you know made arrangements. You know, probably told the person you, you need to go with someone else. We're not going to be a good fit. But in our you know our example, they didn't. You know, at, what do you do at that point? You know that that's that's the thing. You it's it's messed up. You just have deal with it as best you can because you've made a mistake every you know a lot of these the, like the example that you cite there and there are so many of these kinds of examples and i don't mean just for other people I, it happens to me too it happens to all of us um it's because of a mistake we made earlier in the process and there's no getting away from that that's why you have to just constantly prepare and reflect and try and improve so that you avoid you know you know you don't repeat mistakes it you know you might make a mistake once but don't let it happen again but you know when you're in the middle of the project and something wasn't covered or or everyone wasn't on the same page or uh you should have done something earlier well now you're just kind of you're kind of screwed and so are they you know it's uh, uh and so you deal with it as best you can um and that's always an uncomfortable situation but that's part of what being the pro is is to make sure you never encounter those kinds of uncomfortable situations what are a, a few things you see in young or even just beginner designers that make them stand out in a positive way to you? And then what are some common negative qualities that you see a lot of? Well, uh, and that's a great question because there are a lot of young designers that are looking to, you know, get work, get hired, uh, get get clients, whatever. Um, just speaking from someone who, who hires folks, uh, I what I like to see, what is important, in fact, required uh, if I'm going to hire someone or consider them for, for a position or to work with. Is this a beard? Is it's, this what we're going to hear? A beard? Yeah, yeah, a, definitely a beard. So, you know, sorry, girls. No, <laughs> it's, uh, um, has to do with, you know, let, let's say that this, that this person we're describing is still in school or just getting out of school. 
So they don't have a lot of you know what you would call professional experience. And in fact, they're not a professional. They are, by definition, a technician. They know how to run fireworks or Photoshop, and they know how to do you know all the other sort of technical things. But they don't have the professional experience. Um, what I what I want to see is that they have been going out and doing consequential work. They're not waiting until they get out of school or till they, uh, until after they get hired to do the consequential work. Y- you need to show off something that shows that you're special, you're different from all of your other classmates, all of the other folks who are in the same boat with you. Uh, you've done a really, really good wedding site for your cousin. You've done a really good... Uh, um, logo design for your church. You've done, you know, all of this. There are all kinds of opportunities that designers that really are, are uh, this is what they're going to do, and they're really excited about it. They're going to go out and they're going to do these things. And so if they're not, that shows me, if they haven't done this yet, that shows me that, you know, their heart's not in it. Because good designers, the kinds of folks who are employable, you can't stop them. They're just out making stuff. And not just making up a company and doing a website. I'm talking about consequential things for real people, a site that actually served a purpose, a logo that actually served a purpose, um, a poster for an event that actually happened. Uh, these are the these are things that I want to see. I want to see um, gumption. I want to see uh, uh, trying to, you know, stick your head out, your your neck out farther. Uh, these kinds of things. Uh, but. In my experience, <laughs> maybe one out of a hundred will do this. They'll do the fake thing. They'll make up a fake company or something like that, or they'll do logo for just some idea that popped in their head this morning, rather than for actual consequential things. Um, and then there's the, and I'm talking about just um, graphic and functional design. There's also obviously the development. You know, if you're if you're a designer developer, you need to be making things. Make a little app that does something clever, um, not because you know you want to sell it, but because uh, this is what you have to do. You can't stop yourself. It's just going to happen. Some of the things that I that I notice that uh, are not uh, don't necessarily reflect well on on younger designers, the the beginning folks and new to the industry, include you know the opposite of what I just described. First of all, uh, but also the notion that I'm going to be a freelancer. I just got out of school or I'm still in school and I'll get out next year, but um, I just need to start freelancing. And so they'll, they'll have a question like, how do I get clients? <laughs> you don't. No one knows who you are. Um, it's your reputation that is going to serve you in the profession. And so starting as a freelancer is about the dumbest thing that any designer can do, uh, especially because what you're going to avoid is all of the professional stuff. I mentioned before that when you're fresh out of school or you're new to the industry, you're not a professional. You're a technician. And so it takes years under the wing or in the company of more senior peers, you know, professional mentors, to see how things happen. And I don't mean just how, say, a project is conducted or how, you know, what a design process is like. I'm talking about how hiring is done, how, how – uh, the sales department goes about getting clients, how they negotiate those deals, how taxes are paid, how payroll is met, how um, developers and designers 
uh, interact with one another, you know, large projects with large teams, small projects with small teams, all of these things that you can only learn when you're in the company of, you know, your, your more senior peers. And so if you avoid that, well, you're kind of cursed to a life of mediocrity. You know, no one's ever going to really know who you are. You're not going to sort of know the things you need to know. And so you'll never be the professional. You'll be the, the technician. And sometimes you can be a really good technician and you can get jobs because you know some folks in the industry, but you'll never be the person who can actually professionally deal with a client and, and, and fulfill your professional responsibilities. Well, that's interesting because one of the things I wanted to talk about later on was um, an article you wrote about, and you basically said that, um, you know, if you are a freelancer that uh, needs to ask questions about, um, or, you know, that is asking questions about contracts and clients and pricing, et cetera, um, that you should go back to a design agency to uh, learn that, you know? Absolutely. And, and <laughs> so from that standpoint, I would, I guess I would just ask, what about um, young designers that, that where the, where the agency is just not an option, I, you know, from time constraints, you know, you know, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, a lot of the listeners to the show are high schoolers and I'm still okay. in high school myself. So, right. um, you know, a, an agency is just not really much of an option just due to time, you know, constraints. Right. So how do you, and, and so how do you, um, still do consequential work above and beyond the poster for the event and the logo for your church while still, if you can't actually, you know, swing an, an agency thing, or maybe you have other, other constraints. Well, the, the, that context you're describing is no big deal. Um, it's don't, I'd say don't be in such a hurry. It's, it's no biggie. If you're still in high school or if you're just beginning college, um, or just of that age, then, you know, th that stuff will come. Uh, you don't have to worry about it right now. I say, you know, I described that sort of uh, student or beginner that just, you know, can't be stopped. They're going to be making things. They're out there just, you know, making things and doing work. Um, maybe it's not as consequential at this point. Don't worry about it. In a couple of years, it will be. Uh, so I don't... I don't see that as being a problem because right now you're I, – I, I believe anyway if you're still in high school, you're not having to pay rent. You're not having to you know, buy groceries or, or you don't have all of the expenses and all of the responsibilities um, as a, of an independent adult yet. Uh, so, so don't sweat it. Do everything that you can do that makes sense now and then when it's time to, um, to take the other steps, then do that. I, 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 don't, think that, I don't think there's a conflict there. What about agencies that um, are down on on young people? Um, I've got some friends, and you know, I've I've heard that there there have been times when, you know, an agency will uh, not respect the fact that they're young, and and will you know they they feel that they've been treated, um, you know, differently or just not hired at all because of it, and and so how do you how do you look at that? Yeah, that's there, there's uh, not all agencies are any good. Um, I'm, that is a fact, and I'm sure that that's never going to go away. Uh, in fact, I suggest that if you're, you know, you're 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 looking for an agency position, you need to interview them just as intensely as they interview you, uh, because you should have standards. You should have um, 
idea for for what you will and will not put up with or, or what you are and and are not looking for uh so just see um you know try to find the right agency because uh, that there's one of the failings of agencies i think today still is that they require uh, too many of them require you know they want to know or what's your degree in well i don't have a degree oh well then you can't really work here that's uh, there's a lot of good reason for that, but that's kind of meaningless today if you're looking for someone who is an excellent designer, maybe even an excellent professional. I don't have a college degree myself. Um, and so that, that idea that your, your BFA or your MFA or whatever is, is going to get you or should get you the, the right kind of job it is not necessarily so. Now, I will... I will not slam education. Education is uh, – everyone needs to get an education. There are just lots of ways to do it, and a degree isn't necessarily required. But so, – so that's one thing. Um, I mean there are bad agencies, so don't work for the bad agencies. Work for the good ones. Now, that's easy to say and a lot harder to do because maybe you really need a job, and you're just not finding that right agency. Um, I am not a fan of compromising you know, your, your standards or your values to just get a job. But I can see, you know, we, we have long lives, you know, provided we, you know, can live into uh, elderly years. We have long lives, and so spending a couple of years not doing what we really want to do just to, to get our foot in the door or uh, to get the experience that we need, maybe that's an okay thing. Like I said, I'm not a huge fan of it, but, you know, um, saying to just get the perfect job is a lot easier than doing it. I don't know what I don't know what else to say. <laughs> well, that's well, that's interesting. So you mentioned you know it's it's important um, to interview the agency as as much as the agency is interviewing you. So I mean, what are you looking for in that kind of a scenario? Well, I mean, that's I think that's kind of dependent on the individual. Um, you first of all, I mean, you mentioned agencies that necessarily cotton to young folks. Uh, you <laughs> you, you want to ask? Okay, so if I'm hired. What what is it I'm going to be doing? Um, and if it's if it sounds like you know you're getting coffee and you're and you're shuffling paperwork and you're doing I mean if that's not what you're looking for then maybe that's not the the place to go. Um, but you know you've got your own individual standards and so uh, for instance you might if there's some kind of work you don't want to do if there's some kind of uh, companies you wouldn't want to work for or do work for then you know ask them. Uh, do you guys do work for you know these kinds of companies, or do you do this kind of work? Um, am I going to be allowed to be a designer and developer, uh, or do or are your designers segregated from your developers? Um, I actually, I, I, I'm not trying to give short shrift to the answer here, but I kind of talk about this quite extensively at uh, designprofessionalism.com on in, in the treatise, just sort of about sort of good agencies and bad agencies. But um, anyway, so that's just a, a tip to because I'm not going to cover everything here, so maybe folks want to look at that. But um, agencies can operate good ways and bad ways with regard to professionalism. Uh, like, uh, am I going to have direct contact with, with my clients? A lot of agencies, you're not going to find that, uh, and you don't, you don't want to work there because you're not going to be learning to be a professional. You're learning to be a technician, and you're going to have some project manager telling you, no, move it you know, 50 pixels to the left. Uh, that's that's not what a designer needs to do. A professional communicates directly with his or her clients. Um, 
So there's a host of things like that, that how you want to work or how you've been told you should work, like say, according to professional standards, look for that kind of stuff. You mentioned it's, you think it's important to have an education a little, a little bit back there. Um, are, are we speaking of, uh, you know, high school diploma or, you know, to what degree of education are you speaking of? And, um, you know, what, what's that look like to you? Well, think of, think of a scenario. You are a design professional and as a design professional, you're running the entire project. You're setting everyone's deadlines. You're speaking to the room full of client stakeholders. You're standing up there, you know, uh, presenting your design. Uh, you're maybe, or before that, you're going through a discovery process with three different stakeholders having interviews. Um, you need to be able to, number one, know what in the heck you're doing. And I don't mean just with design. I mean with language, with um, uh, convention, uh, how, you know, what is communicative convention? Um, what's happening in the world? What is your vocabulary like? You need to be able to, to speak with, you know, a 55 year old CEO of a multi-million dollar corporation, um, intelligently, confidently. And if they raise some topic that is outside of sort of what you're talking about, you need to be able to, to, to handle yourself. If they're talking about history, if they're talking about, uh, science, uh, you may be dealing with clients who are, who are in you know the science industries? You may be dealing with clients who are in the oil and gas industry. Um, you need to sort of know what's going on. Uh, and so, by education, I'm mostly referring to being a well-rounded, competent adult. Which the way that they're mostly going to your clients and other people are going to evaluate that is is through your vocabulary. To to give you an example, um, I said I you know I don't I don't have a degree. I graduated high school. I went to semester for college and then I went into to be a musician for a few years and then I went back to college for another semester and I decided nah heck with this I got too many things I want to do so I went right in, into the into my career but between then and say six seven years ago I I gave myself an education and it cost every bit as much as the education I would have got at a university. Buying books, buying magazines, traveling to work with te you know teachers, um, traveling to get experience at you know working at this place and in this thing. Um, just constantly fueling uh, my own education. I think that's a good way to go. Um, a, you know, a self-driven uh, education, um, but. An education of some kind has to happen. Now, it may be that you're not, you know, uh, you're not into that, and you just want to do, you know, four years in college. Excellent. Uh, get a good, solid liberal arts education. It doesn't have to be. A, you don't have to get a design degree. You don't have to get, you know, anything that relates directly to your profession. Uh, if you're working on that sufficiently outside of that, but you need to be a well-rounded, competent adult by the time you're an adult. <laughs> Was, was the education you gave yourself, like, was that in preparation for what you were hoping was next in your life? Or was this, you know, was it was it intentional in that way? Or was... In many ways it was. Some of it was specifically associated with, you know, what I was trying to be or what I was in the middle of being or working on. And some of it was just 
just because um, reading, you know, uh, a, a fairly a lay person's book on quantum mechanics, for instance, that has nothing really to do with what I'm doing now or what I was ever doing. Uh, but the education I got from that serves me occasionally. Um, so, so I think it needs to be everything. It needs to be all of the above. I, I mentioned if you're going to go and go to school, just get a solid liberal arts education. That, that's kind of the basic kind of education everyone should receive is just a basic good liberal arts education because that's what it means. Liberal arts is like everything. It's like give you, give you a, a whole bunch of a lot of stuff uh, to make you a well, a well-rounded person. And from that you can specialize into whatever you need. But without that, you're kind of going to be maybe really good at one thing and then kind of a person no one else wants to really talk to about anything else. You don't want to be that guy. Yeah, definitely not the guy people want to talk to at the barbecue. So, <laughs> yeah. I guess one other thing I wanted to talk about was um, mentorship. And one of, the, um, one of the leading thoughts out there, especially for, you know, in relation to young industry uh, workers is that you need a mentor and you know a, a lot of times you'll hear the the mentor suggestion in in um in relation to the the things we talked about earlier with the finding clients and pricing and that kind of a thing what's your take on all that and i guess in in your opinion if you're working at an agency does the you know the agency service the mentor or i don't know what do you think about all that we'll just start with that last bit um, it should, and that's another that's another thing. I mean, a good agency um, has an academic um, culture. Every you know the everyone's helping everyone else uh, throughout every day or at some point in every week or something like that. Uh, the the senior developers are helping the junior developers. The senior designers helping the junior designers, drilling them, um, giving them you know projects, giving them pieces to introduce them to things, and then giving them more and more responsibility. That should be par for the course at any agency or any studio. Um, that's kind of hard to get a handle on when you're trying to get hired there, but that's, that's I think, what all of us should be looking for. To, to get more into the, to the basic idea of a mentor, I'm a huge uh, proponent of that. I agree. I think, every, I think everyone should have a mentor. And I don't mean just designers or people in the arts. I, mean, I think everyone should have a mentor or should have mentors. Um, and one reason I'm such a big fan is because I benefited from that so much and it serves my career and my abilities and my, my passion every day. Um, I told you I got my education uh, over a period of years on my own. Part of that, uh, was, I, I was, a uh, I still am as a, as a hobbyist, but I was a, a bonsai artist for several years and bonsai is just one of my, you know, passions. And, but I, I worked uh, in a professional capacity for several years. And the way I did that, I, you know, started with like a local club and, and then we would have visiting artists come in and got to, to know a couple of them. And then one of them got to be really good friends with. And so instead of just waiting till once a year when, you know, when he would come back to work with our, our, our club, I, uh, had a you know personal relationship with him, and he became my teacher. And I would you know fly out to his um, his farm to to work for a week. Uh, he would come visit, and uh, you know you know stay with my family, and we'd work then. 
uh, we'd trade, you know, lots of, you know, I'd show him results of my work, you know, via email or whatever. Uh, and so there was that mentorship, uh, and it, it persists to this day. And then there's another where I worked uh, professionally with a Japanese man named Kenji Miyata, and I met him in my hometown and followed. We worked at a at a bonsai nursery there. I I under him. I was essentially his apprentice. And so every day it was just you know working with a top pro, uh, working on you know uh, trees that are worth a hundred thousand um, dollars, and 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 work in and running a huge nursery. And then he left there and went to Massachusetts, and so I followed him there, and uh, you know at great hardship and cost, but uh, you know, worked with him there. And so those years of that apprenticeship or mentorship with these guys uh, in an artistic endeavor, it just pays huge dividends um, in all kinds. Just I mean I, could, I couldn't list the, the number of ways that uh, it benefits me even today, every day. So. So getting back to bring this back to you're you're a you're a designer you're a web designer developer, um, having some kind of relationship with that with like that with someone who is uh, an experienced pro. I I think it ha it's it's a lot maybe harder uh, than the thing that I've described, but I think it's something that you ought to strive for. I'm I'm a huge proponent of that. How about finding one? Yeah, I mean. I know there's no tried and true method, I'm sure, but is there anything you can say to that? Well, there's there's probably several trendy ways or, you know, uh, things that fit right into social media stuff or whatever, but seriously, what it boils down to is somebody has to, you know, have the guts to email someone and say, hey, um, I... I'd like to learn from you, you know, what, what could we do, you know, strike, and I'd suggest striking up a friendship first and then broaching the subject of, you know, mentorship and trying to just figure out a way to do it. If, if the more senior person is game to do that, then it's likely two people can find a way uh, for that to happen. Uh, but it certainly just comes down to someone just having the, the guts to try and start it. I guess the last question on the mentorship topic was what's a healthy mentorship in our design development industry maybe look like to you? Right. Cause yeah, well, like for instance, mine was half professional and half hobbyist. Like one of my mentors was just, you know, I wasn't working in a professional capacity with and the other one I was. Um, and I, I, that was a great setup. That was a great way to do it. I think, um, and so, gosh, you know, I really, I really don't know. Um, cause it's hard, like for instance, if to, to ask someone to create projects for you, that's we're, everyone's busy folks. And so that's kind of a hard thing to make. And so I think it probably has to happen in some kind of professional capacity. Uh, maybe, you know, Gosh, I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm groping here. I'm just groping for trying to, to see a picture of what this might look like. But I'm, I'm sure in, in our context, it would have to happen in some kind of professional capacity. One of the uh, other things you're known for doing um, is, is 
they're like design reduxes you call them and they basically <laughs> yeah. redesign a um a popular website and you rethink through the you know the information architecture and the design a little bit to uh in general in my opinion give it a much better uh visual look and just you know you redesign popular websites basically a lot of people think this is very arrogant, and uh, this is something we've even talked about on the show. I think it was uh, last episode. Um, you know, so, I mean, what do you say to the, number one, to the whole concept of that being an arrogant thing to do? And then two, it, you know, in terms of, of getting practice, um, you know, if you know, going back to the earlier part of the show, if you don't have a real agency, do is this the kind of a thing where that can be a good way to, you know, um, get practice? Well, um, to your first point, um, I I tend to kind of agree with the idea that it can be an arrogant or wasteful or overly critical thing to do. Uh, however, it depends on how it's done. Now, in mine, it's important. I think most of the the most vocal critics have never read anything in those articles, uh, if there was an article. Uh, they only look at the pictures, and they see that someone has you know, taken it upon themselves to redesign XYZ Corp. Um, but I have never done that. What I've done is I've written an article for a specific purpose as, a, as an exercise, an instructive exercise, I hope, uh, to show that here is a problem, and it's a problem on a – on a conspicuous popular website. And so as a, as a designer, let's go through an exercise to make this thing better. And I have never done, well, I say never. I don't think I have ever done, I've redesigned, you know, XYZ Corp. It has always been, there's a problem here. Let me show you one solution. And this is not meant to be the redesign for the site. It's meant to be a reimagining of this page to show these five or six or seven or however many points of uh, trouble that I've pointed out. And so that it's meant to be just a design exercise for the designers who may be reading it. And reading it is important. You can't just look at the pictures because then it just looks like, you know, I just, okay, I drew it differently. So what? Um, so that's, that's the first thing. Uh, now I am highly critical in my articles because I'm sorry if you're that big of a, you know, if you're Amazon or if you're, <clears throat> you know, I don't know who else I've done. Uh, if you're whatever of these huge companies and your website is your main thing, <laughs> you should, you know, find it, you know, in yourself to do it right uh, or at least to do it well instead of just horrible, uh, horribly. So anyway, I, I think that it's, it's worthwhile. I think the whole arrogance thing uh, depends on. Um, how how it's presented because it could be presented in a very bad way or it could be presented in a very good way. And I always try to do it in some kind of educational way as opposed to a total snark way. Uh, as to it being a worthwhile thing, I absolutely think so. Uh, it's a way to practice. Okay, you perceive a problem here with how this navigation and this search mechanism and this whatever are, are put together. It should be done better. Okay, well then, do it better. Give it a shot. Uh, and if you think that you were successful, share that. Why not? I think it's an excellent way to kind of put your money where your mouth is. Uh, but I, again, I think you just you need to be careful to, to say to not say, 
I've redesigned the site and here it is. It's more about here on the stage of these problems and here's how I've addressed it. Would you consider that a, uh, going back to the term you used earlier, a consequential a project, I think is what you said? Oh, kind of. Uh, it, it's not specifically what I what I meant, but it kind of is because it shows it, it gives insight. Uh, if if let's say I'm a potential employer of of you and you're showing me this thing, it gives me insight into how you think uh, as to uh, to what your skills are. Whereas if you just make up a company and then design some letterhead and, and a website or an app or something, it's meaningless because it, it doesn't serve anything. So how could you? solve a problem that doesn't exist. But whereas this, you're actually showing, number one, that you have the wherewithal and smarts to see if there's a problem here, and then show me how you would fix it. So that's instructive, that's informative, and so I think it's a good thing. But I still think that the most consequential things are creating actual products to serve actual needs for actual people. And so like the difference there instead of it being, you know, doing something for Nike, you're doing it for, you know, your mother. But she's a real person. She has a real thing going on. So. If if these redesigns are um, only focused on the visual aspect of the website, would you even consider it design? Oh, kind of, but yeah, not 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 in its full sense. I mean, the the web is not for looking at; it's for using. And so um, that's another thing. If you're going to show me how you address the user experience issue here, then that's other thing. I think on the last one I did was uh, uh, news. And I used the New York Times, but of course it wasn't meant to be just the New York Times or just news sites in general. But I did talk a, a bit about the user experience and showed how I was addressing certain things. And so that's that's an example of you know, what I think is probably the most worthwhile kind of thing to do. If you could say three things to a young or beginner designer, and you know, honestly, it doesn't really have to be three, but if you could say three things to you know, a beginner designer, what would they be? Well, first of all, make sure that this is what you're supposed to be doing. There's the the uh, I think the well-known adage of you know, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Make sure that this is what you love, that this is what you're here on this earth to do. If it is, stuff is going to come easily for you, and if it's not, you're just going to have a crummy time in this design gig. Um, so. You know, before you get too deep in it, while you're still young, while you still have time to, to change your lanes, make sure this is what you're supposed to be doing. And I do mean supposed to be. I mean, purpose, a purpose-driven life is the only kind of life to live, I'd say. And so make sure that this is your purpose. Um, the other thing is be exceptional. We, you have all kinds of ways to see what other designers are doing today. You know, there's Dribble, there's Twitter, there's... Uh, you know, uh, who knows what? There's just tons of ways to to look at what other designers are doing, and especially your peers. You probably know some folks who are your age and you know in your area. Try and just be exceptional. I don't mean try and beat everybody. I just mean try and be exceptional. Find something that is your passion that you believe you could do better than anybody. That you you have something to say on this. You have something to to make that the world should pay attention to and start working that now uh, because when it's time to to try and get hired, when it's time to, to try and attract attention uh, to get clients, 
it's not that you're just a good designer or a great designer. It's that you're exceptional. You're doing something that is exceptional in the world of uh, your world of design. Um, the other thing is make sure that you're not just trying to be a designer. Try work toward being a professional, and what that means is the ability to maintain uncompromising standards. That's not something that you can just start doing when you're, you know, 26 or 30. It's something that you you will have to have practiced since you were a young person. And so this whole idea of being able to, you know, withstand peer pressure, um, stand for your own, uh, have a standard and not let anyone, you know, walk you back from it. That's what you gotta um, you gotta bring if you're gonna be a professional, because if you're the kind of person that um, your clients can walk you off of your standards, it's clear to them that you don't have standards. You have bargaining chips. You don't want to be that guy. I have listener questions today. I had to uh, I had to get a big name cool. person on the show to get some listener questions. So uh, <laughs> we've got two of them. First off, Lynn Shoup wants to know, uh, which family member or friend in your past influenced your quick draw, take no prisoners response to work and life, and uh, what can we learn from him or her? <laughs> Oh wow. Yeah, good one. Um I have to believe that it was my grandfather. He was a uh, an army lieutenant colonel and I didn't know him, I guess, much when he was uh you know, active. I knew him as an old grandfatherly guy, but he was this very stern, very <laughs> just so kind of a guy, and I'm sure that I've picked up more than a couple of his traits, and so I, that that has to be it. <laughs> yeah, he he was actually he was he ended up being a high school uh, higher math teacher, and they didn't call him Mr. Armstrong; they called him Colonel. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and when an adult walked in the room, every student had to hit their feet immediately. Oh, that's awesome! That's yeah. So, so he was a character. <laughs> Also, uh, Michael Ellis has a, a great one right here. It's, uh, would you rather never design again or have a clean-shaven face for the rest of your life? Oh, wow. Well, I put it to you that I, so long as I have life in my body, neither of those things shall ever happen. Uh, I will design again, and I will uh, have an unshaven face. <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry to, to bail on the, on the actual question, but that's, that's, that's that. A man has a beard. That's it. Definitely. Well, yeah, all the people at a all the people at your studio unit have beards, correct? All, all the <laughs> well, males, it has anyway. Been that Ryan recently shaved his off. Uh, he he kind of has a thing. He he does a seasonal thing. Mm. And you know you know there's no rule here. Um, I don't think much less of him, so it's okay. Much less of him. Was... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming on the show, Andy. This is uh, this has been great. That's my pleasure. I, I really appreciate the invitation to come here. You can find Andy on Twitter as Andy Rutledge or on his personal site, andyrutledge.com. Also, uh, tune in to Andy's podcast, The Design Pro Show, every Thursday at noon central. If you like The Young Gun Show, please consider rating it on iTunes. Um, other than forcing your friends to listen at gunpoint, that's the best way to spread the word. Uh, tune in next time, and thanks for listening. <laughs>